The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Hey, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You are so deserving of all the joy and juiciness you can stand. I'm Lisa McCourt of Joy School, and this is Do Joy, the Vibration Elevation Podcast. Let's do some joy. Hi, Do Joy listeners. I hope you've had a beautiful week. I hope you've been doing some of the practices we've talked about in recent episodes for strengthening that connection with your inner being, that part of you that's eternal and wise and always at peace those steps you've been taking to quiet your mind and go inward, whether it's going amazingly well for you or it's frustrating you, whatever's happening there, just keep knowing that it's a skill like anything else. It gets easier and better the more you do it. So wherever you are with it is perfect and doing it more is only going to make it better and better and easier. Along those lines, you are going to love my guest today. He is a longtime favorite here at Joy School. I've been blessed with many opportunities in this past decade to share him with my Joy Schoolers, both in person for live events, where he sings sometimes, and through virtual opportunities like this. We just adore, adore, adore him. Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. is a Nagual, a Toltec master of transformation. He's a direct descendant of the Toltecs of the Eagle Knight lineage and the son of Don Miguel Ruiz, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Four Agreements. Miguel himself is the author of six books, the latest being The Mastery of Life. Who doesn't want some of that? Along with his family, he teaches workshops and offers transformational journeys around the world. This is so exciting. Welcome, welcome, my darling friend. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's such an honor. I'm so happy to talk to you again. Talk, saying, who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, we'll dance. It's we'll dance. A beautiful we'll dance. dance. Uh, Miguel has, has sung with us before, which everybody enjoys very much. I don't know. I'm not going to put him on the spot. We'll see if anything spontaneous just uh, comes up there along those lines. <laughs> It'll be good. It'll be good. So you, you heard a little bit there about what we've been doing. We That's always been the, the point of Joy School is that going inward. We call it YOU turns instead of U turns. It's just that, that sort of when that ability to access that part of us that we all have. And I know that you are so masterful with that and have built so much of your work around that. Lately, we've been tying it into heightening our intuition, which I always had sort of a murky relationship with this idea about like building my intuition, but I think I thought of it more 
like parlor tricks and future telling and and this way that we've been embracing it now feels much more organic to me that it's really just another benefit of that going inward of, of being able to reach that inner place within you yeah i think i think for me intuition is, is perception it's perception without the mind you know it's like a, we have a belief system that acts like a filter and we perceive something and we begin to describe it, narrate it, kind of chicken, uh, chicken hold it, or, or whatever that term is, the pigeon hold it, yeah. Everything in its right proper place. So we process. But intuition is listening or perceiving without processing. It's just perceiving life as is. It's knowing without that process of putting it into what it's supposed to be according to the filters. So for me, building intuition is more about trusting my intuition because we've had it from the very beginning. We, we have that sensation. All of a sudden we, we can be in a space and we can feel something off. You know, we can have the hair tingling, you know. And intuition is that part. All of a sudden you feel something and you pay attention to what's around you. It stops being intuition once you start narrating it, describing it. Why am I having the hair standing up? Why am I this? Why is it? Why is it? Because it, and also the story comes in and it stops being intuition at that moment. It starts being the mind processing or interpreting or putting into something we already know, or you can say it filters it out. So for me, intuition is simply about perceiving. Now, in the Toltec tradition, the main function of the mind is to perceive, to all, to dream, which is to perceive and to project. I'm perceiving 360 degrees around me with my eyes, with my ears, with every single nerve ending. I am perceiving. And at the same time, I'm projecting. Right now, you're hearing me feel my trachea with air, letting it through this, well, I'm sorry, my I have them, and I just call it trachea. <laughs> There's processing. So the, my diaphragm, I fill my diaphragm with air, let it out through the trachea. There you go. The vocal cords in my throat, so the muscles in my mouth to make sounds in English. I am projecting physically. But I can do the same projection without the sound. It's just me thinking. All my thoughts are still projections. I'm constantly projecting. So we, we call it thoughts. We call it imagery. So let's imagine a book, you know, let's look at the, a, a couple of pages and let's look at paragraphs like a thought. Some paragraphs are long, some paragraphs are short, but everything represents a thought. And there's a space between thoughts. So let's imagine a paragraph is just a projection. I'm constantly projecting. At the end of the paragraph for the thought, there's a period. After the period, there's a gap of space before the next capital letter starts the next paragraph. That space between thoughts is what we know as silence. When we meditate, let's say that one of the things in our tradition is that to elongate the space between thoughts. We can see it as start a new chapter or just really create that space. So in that space, we, that's what we know as perceiving. Perceiving life as is, that's what to us is what silence is. 
sight perceiving life as is without the mind bringing in the noise. I can be in the middle of Mexico City. I can be in the middle of New York City with all the traffic and all the noise, but I can still be in silence. That you can say is how we get to that place where we can trust our intuition, which is to perceive life as is without the mind projecting what it thinks it's perceiving. You can also say it's the way we learn to listen. It's kind of like if we're talking to someone and it's the other person's turn to talk. If I'm thinking, if I'm putting my attention on what, what I'm going to say afterwards, I'm not actually listening to what the person is saying. Well, I'm not actively listening. To listen to the individual is actually listening to what they're saying without processing or, or anything like that. Just simply hear what the other person is saying. So intuition works in that way. I am in my environment. And my environment, things are happening all around me. To pay attention to the things around me is what intuition is. It's, you can say, active listening. And it requires the ability to silence the mind. And this is where meditation comes in, yoga. One reason why the OM is so powerful is when you say, OM. All your attention just goes to that. It's creating silence. When you focus, when you learn to meditate, they teach you focus on your breath. It's kind of the same thing. Instead of saying OM, which is a projection, of course, but it's a projection that completely puts all your attention to this focal point. You're using another form of projection, which is the breath, and you use it as an anchor to silence the rest of the chitter-chatter, or from what someone calls the monkey mind, or what we call in our tradition, the mitote, a thousand voices all talking at the same time. So for us, that's what intuition is, trusting myself to listen, to actively listen to the environment that surrounds me, to be able to create that space between thoughts that filter or distort my perception and be able to simply be aware of my environment. And if we can do that with the environment around us, we can begin to also do that within ourselves. To listen to ourselves, you know, when we're projecting, to actually hear what we're actually saying and get to know us from that point of view. Love the way you spelled that out because those thoughts that are always kind of there, busying up our mind, are are not based in anything real, right? They're just these these very early misconceptions that we made just based on whatever our, our earliest belief system was from the evidence that we were given, and it continues to block and filter how we experience the out there. Yes, yeah. yes, it, it's what we you know it's. it's, it's in our tradition is being able to control the dream, you know, to be able mm -hmm. to be able to control the perception. You know, it's like the mitote is a, it's, it's a word that it's a Nahuatl word that basically describes a thousand voices talking at the same time. In the four agreements, my father talks about the mitote as imagine yourself being in a supermarket or a, a, a farmer's market and uh, here closing your eyes and just hearing all the voices around you. The analogy I have, an adaptation, is imagine yourself in a stadium, 
in a football stadium or baseball stadium, whatever stadium you have, you have the experience of, imagine that you're in the 50-yard line or in the center of the field, or a soccer field, or whatever, and imagine a stadium filled to the brim with people, be it a 20,000 uh, stadium or a 100,000 like um, in Arbor, Michigan, and just imagine a thousand, uh, a hundred thousand people in that stadium. Now, every single one of those people, let's imagine them rep representing each and every single one of your beliefs. So now you have a hundred thousand beliefs, or twenty thousand, depending on what stadium you re you're referencing, and they're all screaming at the same value, and basically kind of like a stadium. Whatever's happening on the field, if the home team is doing something, a large portion of the stadium shouts and screams in jubilation, while a small portion is booing whatever. Or vice versa, is if the visiting team is doing something great against your home team, this small little section is going to erupt in, in applause and jubilation, and the rest of the stadium is going to go boo. <laughs> Let's imagine that back and forth with what's what we're perceiving in life. The, the mind is responding to what is happening around us with us being the home team and the other people being the visiting team. But they're all screaming at the same value. Now, in the center of the stadium or the field, as you hear that sound of 100,000 people or 20,000 people, and you think some of them are louder than others. The reason why some are louder than others, well, everyone's actually s screaming at the same value, is that the ones you're attracted to hook your attention. So you can say the, the only reason why they're louder is that they hooked your attention with something they said. So all of a sudden your attention is just going there, 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 there. So if you're in the middle of that hurricane, or you can say you're in the middle of a mitote where your attention is just everywhere to the monkey mind. Or you can say the dog mind, like squirrel, squirrel. You know that's <laughs> that's the thing. But you can imagine how it is. And meditation is being able to be able to focus all your attention not in the mitote, but in this center space where I'm in. And you can have that. So all of a sudden, it's all about like my brother says. There's in the Totec tradition, there's nothing to learn but to unlearn. To unlearn all those those voices that I'm attracted to that bring negativity in my life, that bring conditional love in my life, that bring anxiety in my life. Now, like you like you mentioned before, it's like, you know, it's about some, some of them are not real. Well, but let me put it to you this way. Neil deGrasse Tyson has one of my favorite quotes. The truth exists whether you believe in it or not, which means the truth doesn't need humanity for it to exist. A black hole was going to be in the center of our galaxy, whether we proved it or not. You know, as Einstein had this uh, this uh, uh, the theory of relativity. Uh, Hawkins created this idea or the theory of the black hole in the universe, one things. And all of a sudden, uh, a doctor, a scientist, she uh, created the algorithm that allowed all these satellites to be able to be used in unison to create a photograph that allowed us to photograph a black hole. So up to that point, it was all theoretical, which is a belief until you were able to prove it as a fact. 
well, the black hole is going to exist whether we prove mm-hmm. it or not. That's, <laughs> that's what the truth is. A belief in contrast exists only for as long as you believe it. The moment you change that yes into a no, meaning the moment you no longer believe it, it ceases to exist, which means a belief needs humanity for it to exist. An idea needs humanity for it to exist. And the more people believe it, the more real it feels. But it's always dependent. You know, it's like the, the, but that old mythological expression that Sue says, we gods will only exist for as long as humanity believes in us. And for a period of time, people really believed that Zeus was real until the moment it just became a fictional sto- uh, character in our stories. At one point, it felt real. And at one point, it ceased because that yes became into a no. We don't believe in Zeus or whatever other concept you may be able to understand from that point of view. The truth exists whether you believe in it or not. A belief only exists for as long as you believe in it. If you're able to tell the difference between the two, especially in your belief system, then you know what you're able to let go of. The truth, it doesn't need you for it to exist. It doesn't need you to agree with it. It doesn't need you to disagree with it. It's going to exist. But a belief only exists for as long as you believe in it. So how do we let go of a belief that distorts my perception? Give it scrutiny. Be skeptical of it. If it survives your scrutiny, then it reflects the truth. If it doesn't survive your scrutiny, then it doesn't reflect the truth. And you're able to let it go. It's easy to, to let it go once you realize it was a story all along. Absolutely. So, yeah. So from that point of view, it's like you can imagine that stadium and you begin the journey to process, to learn. There is a word process again to unlearn, to let go, to find that silence. And if you're able to tell the difference between truth and a belief, then all of a sudden 100,000 or 20,000 slowly, the numbers are going down. Or more importantly, your attention is no longer focusing on beliefs. And that means that as soon as you take away that attention, like any commercial, it'll just fade away. Absolutely, yes. We talk sometimes about how the those those voices in the stadium that, that call to our attention that seem louder than the others are often triggering our fear because fear is so loud and so ubiquitous. And I think that examining it like you just described can go a long way. And mm-hmm. I think it's more difficult to let go of beliefs that trigger our fear because we're so trained to keep our eye on the ball, the ball being whatever's threatening us out there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think about about coming to peace with fear is understanding what its function is. The function of fear is to keep us safe. That's it. If we're in real danger, like for some a real threat, like a snake or someone with a gun at us, we will respond with fear, which is fight, flee, or freeze. Which means the body will secrete a hormone that allows us to survive and keep us safe. You know, if we're if it's the if if it's the fight response, the body will fill up the body with adrenaline. That as we're in the fight, we won't feel the pain or we won't feel those those blows because the adrenaline won't let us feel it. That same adrenaline, if we're able to run, 
we will run so fast, much faster than Wile E. Coyote or the Roadrunner. <laughs> We're just gonna feel. It's, it's almost comical how fast we'll, we become, or how strong. You know, like the the, the the image of a mom lifting something heavy in order to protect the child. All of a sudden, the adrenaline comes in, or you you freeze like a like a like a deer in headlights. You know, all of a sudden you like you don't know what to do. It's just you're like you're just like that's real fear. False evidence appearing real, the, the distortion of fear, or or just uh, irrational fear, what my father would call it. The best way to describe it is: imagine going to a movie theater, and you see the movie, the horror movie that brought fear to you. In my case, Poltergeist or The Exorcist. You know, I'm aging myself there. And the last movie that made me feel real fear, like that, that lasted more than a week was the Blair Witch Project the first time I saw it. The second time I saw it, I'm like, I was afraid of that. <laughs> but the first time I saw it, I'm like, what? And I felt it, you know. Now, here's the thing. It's not real. It's just light being projected onto a screen with a very good sound system. But the body, once, especially once we get engaged in the story, when we basically immerse ourselves in the story, we will respond with fear. Fight, flee, or free. In a movie theater, when you scream, it's the fight response. Ah, you know, it's basically like any battle cry. Ah, you know, all of a sudden the body just goes through adrenaline and you like you feel that. That's that's the fight response in a movie theater, the scream. The the flea is is the one we, we have done since we were kids. We close our eyes and we put our fingers in our ear and go blah, 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 blah. We're trying to escape, you know. The freeze is going <clears throat> and we can't be like brother, but you're like that's the freeze. We respond with our fear, but we're not in any threat. Now, here's the thing. The mind is more powerful than any movie projector. We can answer the what ifs with the worst case scenario, and we will respond with a fight, flee, or free, a fl uh, freeze response. So from that point of view, we're basically abusing fear the way we abuse alcohol or drugs and unbeknownst to us, we're giving ourselves trauma when we're doing it over and over again. And we feel that fear because the fear is real. We are feeling it. But what triggered it wasn't. So if you look that and use that concept in our mind, in our mitote, that the monkey brain, what it's attached to, those beliefs, some of those beliefs, like you said, are, are a distortion. They're unreal. Someone taught them to us and we believe them. And they will continue to be there for as long as we believe it, until the moment we realize it's not real. And that's what cognitive behavioral therapy is, is mm -hmm. exposing ourselves to that thing which we are uh, afraid of and be like basically playing with the neuroplasticity of the brain to be able to make new uh, connections or synapses that allows us to respond differently to those moments. So going beyond fear or coming to peace with fear is basically to me means we respect fear once again. Its job is to keep me safe. Yet I've been abusing it with my irrational fear, which is my continuous belief in an illusion. So it's recognizing that the most of the things that we fear today in our privileged world are no more real than what's up there on the screen. 
And yeah. the, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. I think that was Joseph Campbell. So the exposure, the, the going through it, going in there is what breaks down the illusion for us so that we can see it for what it is. Yeah, exactly. And, and we, we face it in so many times in our life. And then there's things that we, we never were afraid of. And then there's things that somewhere along the line that we were just afraid of, like asking a question that we don't want to hear the answer to. We're, we're not really afraid of the question, question. We're afraid of the answer. And our primitive brain still thinks that these threats to our ego or our position in society, our, our brain treats it like crocodiles about to eat us because we haven't really evolved beyond that. It's like it's the same interpretation. And that's exactly what the function of ego is, to protect the illusion. That's the function of ego, to yeah. protect the illusion by which we model ourselves or pretend to be that thing which we are not. Mm hmm. Absolutely. I wanted to go back earlier when you did your own, you did that, that, uh, that moving that energy through you, I could feel that energy. And that's another thing we've been exploring is, is personal vibration. I've been taking a, a class with tuning forks. But um, you love to sing. I love to sing. I don't remember if I've ever told you I sing in Michael Beckwith's Global Choir. And there's oh, nice. just something about moving that energy through you. Do you, I mean, do you tie that in at all with, your, is, is singing just a fun hobby for you or is it about moving that energy? Oh, it's always about moving energy uh, from exercising to going running or kickboxing to singing. It's just all of a sudden it's, it's about moving the vibration, but it's also about gaining that confidence. You know, it's like all of a sudden I can do this. You know, like even if I sing off key, I'm still doing it, you know, because it's an expression of love. You know, sometimes I forget the lyrics sometimes, but it's just a moment where it's good. And then you also have to be, you know, read the room. Like it's, it's not the, the opportune time to sing a long rendition when the attention is so short. <laughs> I can't believe anybody would ever want to stop you from singing. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, Mex the Mexican birthday song is pretty long compared to the Amer uh, American version of you know, the happy birthday versus Complainers. So if you go to a birthday party and start singing Feliz Complainers and you sing the long version, they're going to go, okay, okay, I want to blow the candles, come on. The cake's on fire now. Read the room. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I wanted to invite you to speak about attachment because we humans like our attachments, don't we? And I know that you have some really powerful perspectives on that from the, the Toltec tradition. Sure. Well, an attachment is an investment of self energetically, intellectually, and emotionally or spiritually to something that's not a part of us. It's like it's to make something that is like engaging a moment. I am engaging an individual and being part of us, like it's an attachment. And it's something quite natural. You know, it's like you, can, you want the child to attach to you or engage you. What makes an attachment unhealthy is that when the time comes to let go, we can't. Because what, what's natural in life is to engage a moment and disengage. Engage and disengage, attach, detach, attach, detach. We engage a moment and when the moment is over, we're able to let go because that moment no longer ex exists. It's somewhere in the past and the past doesn't exist anymore. There's no life in the past. In fact, the past only exists in the mind as a form of a memory and it probably didn't happen the way you think it happened. So just like the future doesn't exist yet, it's, it exists in the mind as a form of the imagination. So the only place, once again, uh, talking about the truth, 
the only place that exists that doesn't need me for it to exist is the present moment. The present moment exists with or without me. The past needs me for it to exist as a form of a memory. The future only exists in my mind as my imagination, the what-ifs. The present is where life is. It's where we're able to make a choice and action engage. So a moment comes and a moment goes, kind of like waves. When you catch a wave, you engage it. When the wave is over, you disengage it and you continue to paddle on for a new wave to surf. Life is just that way. So what becomes unhealthy is that also you become so attached to that wave that even though it's gone, you're still talking about it. You're still engaging in it. And it's all about who you were. I rode that wave and that's who I was. And there'll never be a wave like it ever again. When you start doing that, you're no longer living in the present, you're living in the past. And more importantly, you're missing out on what life is unfolding in front of you. So it's, it's all about being able to stay in the present moment. So an attachment, once again, is a healthy thing if you're able to detach when the moment comes and you're able to recognize it. It just becomes unhealthy the moment we can't. And mostly because it stops us from living in the moment. But more importantly, it stops us from living life and engaging life and saying hello and goodbye. And it begins to affect our relationships. Who am I without this relationship? Who am I without this status? Who am I without my ability? For example, as a, you know, I run marathons and half marathons. And when I'm working out and I'm training for a marathon, I'm, I get to a good shape, you know, I'm, I'm able to stay, but it, there's a certain moment where if I keep trying to stay level, the body will break down and I'll get injured, you know, like that's because the, the body, there's not enough, there's not, not enough stretching, not enough yoga to be able to keep the same rhythm. The body needs rest. So you you rest, and when you start again, you, you you hope to be in the same level. If it's before a race, there's something called um, I'm trying to remember the term for it now. It's it's a uh, I'm forgetting the term, but it's 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 a time where you train hard, 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 and then you rest. It's uh, mm -hmm. you you downplay. I'm totally forgetting the like term. Interval training? No. No, no, no. It's it's a uh, Oh, I'll think about it later. It'll, it'll come up. Yeah. But if you give your body enough rest, 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 and the the muscles stay and the, and, the, and the cardio stays, when you actually run the race, you're going to be in an even better uh, position because the body is rested, the muscles are rested, that you're able to go on that Sunday or Saturday, you run that race, and you run in optimal conditions. Your body is recovered and is full strength. Tape, taper, that's the word I'm looking for, taper. taper. The, the, the word is taper. You, you work out for those uh, 16, 17 weeks, and then you taper for that 18th, sometimes 19th week. And then you give that two-week window uh, like where you lower the intensity, you, you decrease it little by little to the point where you're running bare minimum just to keep the muscles out of that memory. And then you run that race, and you're run rate. Now, here's the thing. 
if you let that taper go down past that certain point, then the muscles start slowly going down. You know, so you won't have, you won't be in the same level. Or if you run the race, when you finish the race, you're not. You know, if it takes it takes a day per mile to recover from a marathon. You know, it's like if if it's twenty six point two miles, it takes you about twenty six days to fully recover. If you try to run another race as soon after, like, and I, I know people who have half and uh, hats off to them, but little by little, there's just it's, it's a lot of wear and tear, and the body's gonna you know, pay for it eventually. Which means this: the uh, the condition, the work that you're able to do, is not stable. You have it, it fluctuates. So the body will change. The body will, your abilities will completely adapt to what you're doing. If you take too long, for example, I'm 46 years old, going 47. Uh, if I work out and I'm in good shape, that shape will only last me three weeks or four weeks. When I, if, I, if I take that long off, when I go back, I've, I've lost a step, you know, I have to restart. When I was younger, it, it will last a bit longer, you know, but when I'm, as I'm getting older, it, it, I lose it a little bit quicker, you know, so I have to be maintaining it to a certain level. So from that point of view, it's like your ability to be aware and be able to attach. If you're attached that you always have to be in that optimal level, it'll be hard to detach from it if this is who I am this is how I know I'm this is where I'm worthy of love this is how I know that people will respect me or or honor me or be attracted to me or whatever it is that it's in the monkey head that we've said well it's conditional love who am I without this condition I have to keep up with it and all of a sudden it stops being a passion and it starts being an obsession mm. the obsession to maintain it which means it gets a point moment where even we are working hard and maintaining that level of physical stress uh, uh, of uh, strength and conditioning. When we get become so obsessed, we no longer paying attention when the body needs that break to recover, and we run or we run it to the ground. You know, the body all of a sudden just locks up. You know, and, and falls apart you know it's like uh, i i love that um uh book uh can't hurt me by david goggins i loved his, his that book quite a bit but one of his last chapters his body he's he went go 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 but he never really stretched he never really was able to use that time off that his body just became so so tight that blood wasn't flowing and he had to relearn how to learn to stretch and became part of his regiment. Now I have to learn how to stretch him. So be able to detach from that optimal condition to be able to let the body fluctuate and be able to know when the body needs that ability to rest, to recover, to taper, and then give it its best. And it's all about getting to know yourself, getting to know your body. When you're so attached to an image, it won't let you know. You're not aware. You're letting the belief dictate the action. That's what about that's the that's the that's the consequence of not being able to detach 
from that idea. So the whole marathon metaphor can be applied to wherever we hold ourselves. Like I have to be the top salesperson at my job. I have to look this way every day. I have to be in the top health or whatever successes we feel like we've achieved out there. We get attached to that and then we can't maintain it because we're human beings and nothing is, you know, everything is destruction and, and <laughs> you know, rebuilding. So so it's about being okay with that cycle, right? Not getting yeah, attached it, to any version of ourselves. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's being able to, diff, to tell the difference between I want to and I have to. You know, when that obsession comes in versus a passion. I know I have, a, I have friends who are, really good at motivating their team. You know, I have a friend uh, uh, in San Jose, Mr. Palomino, who has a good team of real estate people and they do really good there. And I watch him, he's really engaging and she teaches them how to go for it, go get it. And at the same time, when to give the body time to downtime because that time, in that downtime is when the body recovers, the mind recovers. And it's because if you got so obsessed, if I, if I stop, then someone's going to beat me and, and, I, and I, I can't do that. I have to be, always be number one. That's when obsession comes in. But if you realize like, well, no, it's, it's, it's the team and we give ourselves that space. We give ourselves that motivation. And it's all about finding that ability to balance the intensity and the self-nurturing. And what I mean self-nurturing is that time where you got to give the body, the mind, the ability to recover because we're not robots. Right. So it's all about finding that balance. You know, it's, it's getting, be able to deliver grit and at the same time, compassion for self and others. Yeah, that self-love piece. I just read yeah. Strength to Strength. I can't remember the author's name. It was on the tip of my tongue, but it's a, a recent popular book out. And it talks about this in terms of um, people who are very high achievers when it comes time for their decline, because we're all going to have a decline and how it's so much harder when you've identified yourself with being a high achiever. It's, it's a really insightful book. Yeah, because all of a sudden we... we, we the problem with uh, that we deal with in our tradition with, uh, with the four agreements to my books, Mastery of Life, is domestication, a system of reward and punishment by which we model the behavior of the individual, where if we live up to the expectation, we're worthy of a reward. And if we fall short, we get rewarded of the punishment. And since we are emotional beings who experience the full spectrum of our emotions, that reward feels like acceptance, which feels like love. And the punishment feels like rejection and the lack thereof of love is the way we learn conditional love. So if we corrupt and use that sense of, I have to be the high achiever and use it like, that's the only way I'll ever accept myself, then that's when it becomes real difficult to even introduce the idea of downtime or compassion because if I miss a step or two, what does that say about me? I've got to continue and that's when obsession really comes in. I don't know who I am without it. and what I am with, with that is I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of respect. I'm worthy of this, whatever it is that I've made myself conditioned by. 
Yeah, Eckhart Tolle talks about the horizontal self versus the vertical self. And we're all so identified with our horizontal self, our name and our image and our title and our job and political affiliation, maybe whatever those things are that we think define us, where the true lasting happiness comes from shifting that identification with the vertical self. That's how we started this conversation, that that inner being that, that we all just kind of ignore for the most part, or many of us do on this planet today. Yeah, exactly. I'm still that... I, I am still me, whether I'm engaging in that or not. I'm still Miguel, whether I'm writing a book or not. I'm still Miguel, whether I'm a father or not. You know, I'm I'm a living being, and this is just a wave that I'm riding right now. This is this is my moment, and when that moment's over, I'm going to detach and engage at a different stage. You know, we, before the interview, we were talking about being an empty nester. You know, like you, you're experiencing what it feels like to be an empty nester, and I'm like three or four years away from that stage. So it's going to be interesting. I can only imagine it. I don't know what that's like. I can only imagine it. But for you, you don't have to imagine it. You're experiencing it. If I was still holding on to, you know, if I still hold on to the mentality I have today, when I am when I am an empty nester, then I don't know what to do with myself. All of a sudden, who am I without this purpose? You know, yeah. it's, it's, if you're holding on that my purpose is my kids, and raising them, then when they're flying on their own, who am I? So you can say, this is the thing that's going to make me try to cut their wings, because I don't know who I am. If I, I don't want to be an empty nester. This is what I know. And this is what some people, some people do. You know, it's like we cut people's, our kids' wings only because we're afraid of life without them needing us. But if we're able to detach and be like, all right, you have your wings. This is your life. This is your journey. Who am I? All right. How am I going to reinvent myself? What do I want to do? And that's all of a sudden what, in my point of view, what that looks like from afar, three years away, maybe four. And I'll find out when that happens. Is that identifying with the inner self? Is that what um, you refer to as awareness in, in the Toltec tradition? I, I love the, the description of awareness. The way you present it yeah it's, it's once again but we're back in the stadium it's like if i'm identified by that one fan that's screaming at the very top of that deck and who am i without that fan well the stadium is still there and here i am yeah is there any sort of simple practice that that you suggest for people to nurture that connection with the inner being I always leave my listeners with something that they can focus on during the, the coming week that'll help move them in that direction. Oh, I can give you many. I'm gonna have to go with, one of my favorite quotes is from Eleanor Roosevelt that goes, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. If I paraphrase that, no one can make me feel inferior without my consent or no one can domesticate me without my consent, no one can condition me without my consent. How do we give consent? By believing it, by saying yes to it. The best way to let go of conditional love is to forgive ourselves for ever saying yes to it in the first place. Mm -hmm. Which means if we catch ourselves that I made myself feel inferior because of a belief or, someone, or what someone said or did, and I let it unpack me, beyond that moment because it's no longer here it's 
that person whoever said that happened years ago and the only reason why it's still echoing in my mind is because I keep touching that wound or keep saying yes to it or believing it because sometimes it's hard to say I gave consent I didn't give consent it still hurts me yeah but you're still believing it and that's why it hurts forgive yourself for believing it and understand that a belief is only there for as long as you believe it as soon as you change that yes into a no that belief will cease to exist so the best way to let go of those beliefs that impact us in such a negative way is to forgive ourselves and little by little so if you see that little path and you can do it with one belief that means you can do it with a hundred thousand or even twenty thousand and it takes it's gonna take time so you have to be patient but as soon as you catch one and you become aware of one of those little loud voices I forgive myself for ever saying yes to this one. I forgive myself for ever saying yes to that. And little by little, you, you realize that, for example, someone said something to me when I was eight years old. And that person only said it once when I was eight years old. But I've been hearing it and repeating it to myself for 38 years now. I'm 46. And that person only said it to me when I was eight. That's only, that, that means that I've been using my own words to go against me for 38 years. Not only am I I'm forgiving that person, but I'm forgiving myself for keeping that belief that would have vanished with time. And I kept it alive because I just kept touching it. I forgive myself. So a teacher once taught me this beautiful lesson in Sacramento. I forgot the name of the individual, but I, what he said just resonates. So I'll say it again, <laughs> talking about something that happened in the past. <laughs> I keep saying it because I like it. Forgiveness is the moment you no longer wish the past was any different. It is the moment you accept it and you let it go. For me, that means forgiveness is the moment you no longer wish the past was any different. It's the moment you accept it. basically means that you realize that life no longer exists in the past. You can't change a yes to a no, no to a yes. It happened. It happened and I can't change it. It's something that happened. And I accept it. To let it go. It's like my brother has the analogy of a scorpion that stings itself over and over again with its own tail, administering the emotional poison that it meant for someone else to itself over and over again. So imagine that scorpion does that. And every time the scorpion thinks of the past, it does that. And someone said to me, scorpions don't do that. Of course they don't. We humans do every time. So forgiveness is the moment you no longer wish the past was any different. It is the moment you accept it and you let it go. What does letting go mean? That I no longer use it to hurt myself in the present. Okay, before we go further, I just want to make this nice and bulleted because this is your home play y'all and this is tremendous you are going to look around in your life for where you are being jose's scorpion what where have you consented to conditional love meaning that you've bought into this idea 
that someone has presented to you, something about yourself that you've bought into it by not identifying with that vertical self within you, but identifying more with this vertical self and their reality over your own reality. Am I getting off track, Miguel? I want to make sure they do this right. Oh, so so yes, yeah, so, so this week you're going to do that with at least one thing. If you want a gold star on your forehead, go ahead and do it with a bunch of things. There's a lot of voices in that stadium. I love this. This is really beautiful. Thank you. Oh, Shalisa, thank you. And that's it. That's, that's it's. It seems daunting at first, but just go with the ones that just are on the surface. And sometimes some of the subconscious ones will come up, and when they come up, now is the perfect time to process them. There's the word again, process. It's a good word. That's what we do, right? Again and again. And forgive yourself for having a lot to process. We've all got a lot to process. We, we and all then, then, And then will come the day where also you realize, wait a minute. The whole same is here because I keep saying yes. <laughs> and all of a sudden the whole goes. <gasps> That's a good day. That's the day we're all <laughs> yeah, looking for. Yeah, it's, it's, it's called shifting the assemblage point. Shifting the assemblage point? The assemblage point being everything we've bought into and consented to? Think about it this way. The same energy I use to move my arms it's the same energy I use to create a thought. At the root of every belief in my belief system, there's a yes that gives it power. The assemblage point is that point where I said yes to it. You shift it. Yeah. Shifting the assemblage point. Yeah, that's powerful. Very powerful work. Well, tell us what's coming up for you, where listeners can keep up with you and always know about your next things happening. Sorry, sorry, I have to, I have to finish the thought. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, means, go. <laughs> that means that when that happens, only thing that remains is the truth. All the illusion will disappears. All that remains is the truth. When, when we when you're able to let go, like that. I wish y'all could see me go right now. This is an audio-only podcast, but there's there's something happening over there. <laughs> it's the moment you it's like you conceptualized it, but all of a sudden you can totally see it. And you're like, yeah. so so. Let's just do a, a a a one more round on the assemblage point. I want to make sure it's super super clear. The same energy you use to move your arms, to move your legs, is exactly the same energy you use to create a thought. And at the root of every belief you have in your belief system, there's a yes that gives it power. There's no such thing as something that you said. If you said no to something, it's not part of your belief system, which means everything in your belief system is yes. So we just describe processing one little by little by little by little, you know, one by one by one by one, you know, the, the whole... Forgiveness is the moment you no longer wish the past was any different. It's the moment you accept and you let it go. Then you shifting the assemblage point is almost like the moment you realize that every single belief in the system only needs it's only there because you yes. If you withdraw the yes from all of it, the only thing that will remain is the truth. And the things that existed only because you said yes to it will just disappear. Mm. And the only thing that remains is the truth. 
Beautiful. Thank you for that recap. I just wanted to make sure that was clear. We talk a lot about whatever we feed our attention to is what grows and what becomes real in our existence. And I think that's a, a beautiful take on that whole concept that things that are in our lives are only there because we've fed them with our energy and our attention and we can withdraw that. It's at and we, choice. And if we add attachment to it, then you can see why it's really hard to let go. Who am I without it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those attachments kind of feel sticky. It's sort of addictive, right? Those attachments that we think are so important. Yeah. Who am I without it? I got to keep it. And also there it is. There's, that's where ego comes in. That's the function of ego. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Going back to your question, you can find me at MiguelRuiz.com or MiguelRuizJr.com or our social media, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that go on a hunt for miguel no you will find him <laughs> yeah yeah miguel that was nice that, that was nice thank you so much lisa that was that was nice i love you i always love talking to you you are such a beautiful presence in joy school and i want to thank you for right from the beginning always being so generous with your time and, and attention and love for us it's been such a such an honor it's been a long time it, I, I really you, appreciate this opportunity to engage in. It's always fun, you know. Thank you yeah. so much. I think you were first on my radio show like 12 or 15 years ago, like a really long time was when we, we first met. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was nine years ago. Was that? Okay. I couldn't remember exactly when it yeah, was. Nine. Yeah, because it was almost almost immediately after. Because my I, I signed my contract for my first book 10 years ago. Wow. And I, I, the first time I, I handled it in my hands was in October or, or November of 2012, and it was released in 2013. And it was soon after that that I was on your show. Okay, was, you have a better memory than that. I do. <laughs> yeah, no, but it was, it was for me. It was a whole brand new world. You know, it's. <laughs> you, you, I think uh, being on your show was like at, at the beginning of my, my, uh, my my life as an author yeah and what a so beautiful journey that yeah. has been <laughs> oh, it's almost 10 years exciting well i hope there's many many more to come we love you you come to joy school anytime in person or here so sing us something lovely to close us out i've got you <laughs> under my skin i've got you deep in the heart of me so deep in my heart you're barely a part of me i've got you under my skin <laughs> that was fabulous i wasn't sure if i'd have to twist your arm thank you the multi-talented miguel ruiz jr y'all <laughs> Thank you so much. Hope everyone has a wonderful time. Everyone have a beautiful week and I'll see y'all on the next one. Ciao. Have fun. Joy comes in many flavors, but they all start with you being full on glorious you. If you'd like some personal love and support along your joy journey, find me at lisamccourt.com. And as you do your joy this week, remember that you elevating your vibration elevates the vibration of everyone around you and ultimately elevates the vibration of all humanity. 
thank you for being a valued member of the team that's bringing more love and joy into the world. We need you. I'll see you next week for Do Joy, the Vibration Elevation Podcast. Much love. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.